Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play. Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 261 is from Alt Prog Indie Combo Kane and the Rinses is Brian Edwards. <laughs> Good morning, Leon. How are you? All right. Afternoon here, but it's a fine afternoon indeed. Yeah, I'm in glad to be here. England. I've been I've been itching to to come back on Sound of Play at some point to just talk about music as it, as it is my um right. for, yeah my my entry point into the Kane and Rince uh it was e- ecosystem as it were so I'm 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 excited I'm always excited for Sound of Play. How long ago was that now? Oh boy, um Miami. probably the better part of I mean 3 years I think since I was on yeah. Sound of Play but I I mm-hmm. I started listening to Sound of Play pretty much from the outset so yeah. Um. As a as a fan of Kane and Rince, and then and then or fan of Sound of Play, and then that led me into Kane and Rince, and that's right. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, here you are again with five tracks. I've got one and we've got three requests as well coming up. As usual, a madly eclectic mix of games from the history of video games. I think the earliest track we've got is 1989. We've got a couple from 89, thanks to Brian. And oh, no, that's not true, yeah, is it? Because my piece is from 86. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I'm the oldest. <laughs> and we've got stuff from as recently as well last month i think this game came out and uh it was a sort of surprise in that it was announced very late in the day before it was released paper mario the origami mm -hmm. king and this one we're going to talk more about this we're recording our paper mario podcast for uh, the cane and rinse show this evening and one of the things i want to talk about on that show is now i've finally finished it how little it has to do with paper that game <laughs> like it really doesn't lean into the paper stuff at all other than the sprites are 2d and the houses kind of fold a bit but obviously paper mario the origami king is all about the paper oh absolutely yeah uh, and um as we were discussing before the recording the the amount of paper-based stationary-based puns that are in this game um are it, it's pretty it's pretty hot and heavy as they, they come at you every gone time to town um but yeah it's um yeah it's really interesting the the art style of this game because it is your traditional paper mario when you're looking at the at the mario character the playable characters but then all of the enemies have been are are essentially other parts of the world that have been origami folded into the traditional mario enemies that you yeah. see and it's really visually pleasing because so as it looks you, like tear away. Yeah, a little bit. Um, the cool, the thing that I like is that, and I, I have no doubt that there's plenty of Nintendo magic at work here. But when you end up defeating like a paper Goomba, it unfolds in what appears to be a believable way that this mm. square of paper somehow got folded into a Goomba shape, like in, in an origami fashion. It's it's very satisfying. <laughs> What's interesting is my niece, my my Nintendo obsessed niece, to niece who I've I've previously mentioned, she's uh, she's got the game and she's she's already completed it. Oh wow! Uh, she's been sending me pictures that she's been drawing. Her current thing is to sort of try to replicate the art of the games oh, or, cool. or or the surrounding art. And rather than making, uh, oh no, she has now. She, I, I should, I, I don't want to take credit away from her. She has now done one uh, actual origami folded character, oh, cool. but mostly she's been uh, sending me. Yeah, she did a peach because she uh, and one of the other characters in the game who I don't know yet. But she's also been copying from the promotional art. She's been copying how the folded uh, origami characters look and drawing oh, and coloring them in. So that's, that's cool. pretty. Yeah, that's, that's pretty nice. Yeah, that's neat. It's um, it, it is a visually striking game, not surprising, but it 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 did feel kind of leading up to the release that it was um, like I don't know if it was kind of like like a like kind of put on the back burner. I'm not sure how to say that, but it was kind of just surprise mm. announced. It's just you. We woke up one Tuesday in June. It's like, Low hey, yeah. Paper Mario next month. It's like, whoa, wait, really? So yeah, every so when that stuff kind of happens, I and I've I fall into this too. You kind of like lower instantly lower your expectations being like oh why right. are they giving this a big rollout is it gonna be mm -hmm. but i mean i i am not i'm not your niece i'm not that far into the game yet um in fact i just beat my i guess the first world these kind of streamers that surround the world i i literally before the podcast just just took down the first streamer and um uh yeah it the game has just been nothing but pure joy everything about it i i can't yeah it's, uh, sing its praises highly enough i i've heard that the combat you know kind of like gets a little long in the tooth as the game goes on but um i have not right. i'm not that far in yet so as of right mm. now it's still pretty fresh to me 
So yeah, it seems if anything, it's been regarded critically as and and in terms of peer review as a bit of a return to form after the series was perhaps losing its way a bit. Mm. Maybe they haven't regained the heights I understand of the second game, the Thousand Year Door, which I'm now keen to play, having mm. finally completed the original. But obviously, I'm not going to jump to. Origami King at this stage, because yeah. uh, you can't break the lineage. <laughs> you can't. I think... The continuity is vital. <laughs> of course. Well, I mean, yes. The, the the legacy of Paper Mario. There's. I have a. I have an entire <laughs> you know string and pushpin chart down here in my basement of all the characters yeah. connected. But um, good. You know, I think I've touched all of the Paper Marios. I um I've definitely completed the first two. Um, I believe I completed Super Paper Mario on the Wii. I remember liking Wii, that yeah. quite a bit. Um, mm. but um the last two, uh, Sticker Star and Color Splash, yeah. were just. And I, I know that that's a pretty popular opinion that the those those were fairly weak and it just yeah. they, they just seem to I'm not sure losing the magic is a very like uh, I don't know like almost cliche thing to say but it just felt like maybe the inspiration and the charm that that gave the first few games kind of that pop just didn't hit yeah. for whatever reason yeah um, yeah and possibly I think they went down the route of maybe streamlining and simplifying games in the way that Nintendo had that urge to do mm-hmm. in the in the DS and Wii era to make things increasingly accessible, but at the same time, in some cases, robbing them of any... Because, like, for most of us hardcore gamers, in inverted commas, Paper <laughs> Mario seems like a incredibly simple RPG. Mm-hmm. But, of course, there's actually loads of stuff going on there that assumes a lot of knowledge yeah. that somebody who'd never played a, a game of its type before but might have been attracted by the look and the characters right. would go, what the heck is all this, <laughs> yeah. you know, status effects and I don't know, mm-hmm. whatever else, leveling up and, uh, and and that kind of malarkey. But one thing I have heard repeatedly about this one, and obviously we've already heard your chosen piece, is that audio-wise the game is an absolute treat. Oh, yeah, it's um, it's... It's probably my the most recent soundtrack I can think of that I've I've now listened to the entire soundtrack of the game before I have completed the game. Um, like I, I just have it on repeat in my head all the time. I'm I'm watching YouTube compilations of the soundtrack uh, pretty much constantly as I do things around the house. Um, it's just it's just gorgeous. It's that style that Nintendo has brought to the recent releases. Uh, I really I'm sure it started before this, but the first one I remember is like Mario Kart Eight. Like when you hit that title screen and that like it like full band comes in mm. with their maybe it was 3d world was that just ahead oh, of Mario you know what I... maybe that was yeah 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 because around that period uh, anyway where they went ah let's 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 get the band back together exactly together. yeah and and mm. so like it kind of now it, it's it's part of that sound like when you when you load up like a especially like a mario a game you know a, a colorful game not um you're you're expecting to hear some of that sound but the way that that band is utilized in this game it's they're it really is showing the versatility of of what they're able to accomplish, and this uh, this elemental battle theme. Um, I just I, I stopped. So essentially, there's these elementals, uh, you know, vellum paper, mm-hmm. uh-huh, elemental. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to find the earth elemental because there was this. You know, of course, there's a rock in my way, and I need some you know ancient legendary power to get it out of the way. You know, classic Mario stuff, and. Yep. And I, I went into this battle theme, and I just I just stopped for a moment, and I got up. And my wife asked me what I was doing. I went and got my headphones because I was playing handheld mode, and plugged my headphones in. And I just I just listened to all three minutes of however this is on loop without taking an action in the battle because it was just it just was like hitting this rock funk horn vibe that I just was not expecting at all in a Paper Mario game. And the game kind of does that over and over again. Like you get to a new area, and I'm just constantly searching for that theme, like waiting for it to kick in to be like. You know, to to, fe- to 
see how that music is going to energize the surroundings I'm in. It's it's very effective. And and I this Velemental Battle theme I just I just listened to and just kind of nod my head to and just uh, <laughs> it's just it's just a banger. It's just a banger. It's got all the genres. Yeah, uh, this piece of music in in one it, it, name a genre. There's it's probably represented in at least one phrase or instrument mm. or another. Uh, yeah, so the composers on the game don't know on this piece. Don't know if it was collaborative, the usual story, but Yoshito Sekigawa, Sho uh, Murakami, Yoshiaki Kimura, Hiroki Morishita, and Fumihiro Isobe. And yeah, that's out now. And check out our forthcoming, depending on when you're listening to this, Paper Mario podcast in celebration of the 20th anniversary of the release of the original Paper Mario. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. Yep. Now, uh, I pulled this one from our requests pile from wishy-washy from the forum because uh, there's been a little announcement of a game coming up called Bomb Rush Cyberfunk, which is basically Jet Set Radio 3, mm-hmm. as far as anyone can ascertain. It's got the exact same audiovisual style, and it's even got music from the composer of those famous Jet Set Radio soundtracks, Hideki Nagaruma. And so we had this one in the pile. This is actually from the PS2 Sega football game. I guess it was a, a license or a, or a successor to the Virtua Striker games. J-League Pro Soccer Club O Tsukuru 3. Uh, it was by Smilebit, who also were, were responsible for Jet Set Radio. And it's fairly unmistakably Hideki Naganuma. And Wishy Washy says, more skank funk at its best. <laughs> Let's get it, let's win it, 
That was the football tastic. That's soccer. Uh, get oh, it? Oh, I get it now. I get it now. Soccer. Yeah. yeah. Soccer. I, I just yes, yeah, so soccer. <laughs> yeah, that's what we play uh, over here. Um, no, they. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, did Hideki Naganuma have anything to do with the Ape Escape music? Do you know, Leon? I don't think so. Because th- I, I know that there there's some of that Sega like kind of theming, especially in in the early 2000s. But I, mm. when I was when I was um, listening to that track for the first time, I had never played the game. Um, but before the show, I all yeah. I could think about was collecting apes in the original Ape Escape while oh, okay. listening to it. That's it had that a lot of that feel to me. That kind of poppy, upbeat, electronic with some. Um, with some, you know, kind of shouty lyrics in the background. Um, very, yes. very jovial. Indeed. Get it to win it. That was the extended mix two, apparently. Uh, yeah, thanks for that request, wishy-washy. Now, I've enhanced your pick for this one. I th- Well, I think enhance. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you have nostalgia for, y- for the original version, but I thought we would also share... Jake Kaufman's rearrangement yeah. for the 2013 game because why not the the original's only short mm-hmm. and uh yeah so I'm guessing you're one of those kids who <laughs> was a DuckTales guy yeah um yeah I was a DuckTales guy in the cartoon show and then um I'll I'll never forget again I I always some somehow Leon, I always come to sound to play with cheesy stories that make me misty-eyed for the the times of the past but um I remember going into our local video store um here that did video and NES game rentals and seeing a DuckTales video game um, on the mm. shelf and me wanting to rent it. And my brother, who's five years older than me, saying to me, oh, well, th- those games that are based on shows, those are never any good. You know, <laughs> he already knew. He already kind of was like down on licensed material, you know. So it's like, no, let's try it out. And then we brought it home and we spent the next, I think the rentals were three or four days. We, I mean, we just we just could not stop playing the DuckTales game. And it's, it's a really fond memory of mine because... Um, much like Mega Man 2 in that era, it's a game that I, my enjoyment of it is as much related to the gameplay as it is to the music. And um, mm. and the reason I picked the Transylvania theme um, is because I feel like when people talk about DuckTales music, the the first song you hear is the moon theme, um, which is a amazing, I, I love that music too, but the, I think that every level really does have its own unique theme that that really highlights... Uh, really complements the level and the setting well, and it's just another example of how Capcom's uh, composers were just getting so much out of the NES hardware, uh, the sound, the, their sound uh, chips, because it just it's complex in a way that you, it, it makes sounds that you don't expect that the NES would be able to to make. Um, it's really I don't know. It just and it hits that nostalgia button for me. It's just like a dopamine hit yeah, every single time. Every time that that initial chime hits from this song, I'm just like I I know what's coming, and I'm going to be finger tapping along the whole way. Yeah, so my DuckTales experience, I'm that bit older, so when the cartoon was around, I'm sure I would have seen it on and I possibly would have even quite enjoyed it, but it wasn't aimed at me. Uh, uh, I was, what, 17 by the time this game came out, for example. But I was interested because I'd always heard of this legendary NES game and I knew it was by Capcom, had, uh, had a strong development team. And so the remaster came out while I was reviewing games for a living and uh, and I got a code and completed it on the PS3 and mm-hmm. uh, had a good time with it and I found that all also the the nostalgia for the game and the cartoon and its theme tune and everything was quite infectious mm-hmm. like I, f- I felt like I was sort of getting nostalgia by proxy 
Um, so that was that was good. And so, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And also they got the mighty Jake Kaufman in yeah. way forward, did the remaster and Jake Kaufman therefore did the music. So we're going to hear that version as well. You can date it to 2013 because it's got a little bit of a dubstep thing going on in it. <laughs>
That was the Transylvania theme, both flavours, NES chip version and the version that came out for uh, last-gen consoles, let's say, and computers, I suspect, as well. The original tune is by Horoshige Tonomura, and that was Jake Kaufman with the rearrangement for the remastered version. You can, of course, still play uh, the original on the Disney Afternoon Collection, which is often featured for very little money in sales. I can't remember the in- the exact set of games you get on that. Um, it's, it's um, Ch- DuckTales, DuckTales 2, yeah. Chippendales Rescue Rangers 1 and 2, and oh. Darkwing Duck, I believe, oh. are the games okay. that are on that. Good knowledge. Um, yeah. Uh, I should know. Often... I own it on both PS4 and, uh, and Xbox. <laughs> I think I think it was given away with uh, either PS Plus or games with gold. I bought it on the one and got it for free on the other. That's all I remember. Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> now, we don't often have a character select theme in this show, but we got a request. And I suppose one of the reasons they don't often get picked is because they're quite short. This one isn't that long, but uh, it's long enough to, to get into it. And... It's from the era of Mortal Kombat where I was very much out of Mortal Kombat, <laughs> having finished with Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3, which I considered, the, or Trilogy, let's say, the last of the sort of the original set of uh, 2D ones with digitized fighters. Then they moved into 3D polygons, of course. And for me, the first umpteen entries of that just looked terrible. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I know they had their fans and... I'm sure some of them were more fun than others and, and whatever else. And, and NetherRealm and, and uh, you know, Ed Boon and, and the people there have obviously used that lengthy period of time getting better and better at it to the point that when MK, the reboot, came out, was it it's was nine, wasn't it, um, mm-hmm. in 2011, I think? That sounds uh, right, yeah. For PS3 and 360 and, and whatever else. That one, uh, I was like, oh, actually, okay, I get this. This is a, this this now doesn't look like a hideous substandard polygon <laughs> fighter. They actually seem to have they seem to have got to grips with it now. And now I've got the latest one and the DLC, and and so I'm fully back on board. But this era, uh, it was yeah, it's just like now. Nah, if I'm going to play 3D fighters in 2002, it's going to be Soul Calibur 2 yeah. or something like that. Not not MK Deadly Alliance. <laughs> However. They were still doing fine, I suspect. And Mr. Green TOS from the forum requests this. Mortal Kombat Deadly Alliance was my first real experience with the Mortal Kombat games, despite having played the previous games before Deadly Alliance. That was mostly due to playing them at an early age and not understanding the lore or history of each fighter until I was gifted a copy of MKDA not district attorney (laughs) looking back at the music of the early 3d era was quite a blast as several tracks were filled with the nostalgia beats of my teenage youth
the Deadly Alliance character select music by Dan Forden and or Rich Carl and or Vince Pontarelli. That was before Netherrealm was Netherrealm when they were uh, working under the simply under the Midway banner yeah. still. That was um that was an interesting time for Mortal Kombat in general. Um it was kind of that that I almost like trying to find their their new identity like moving forward. They obviously weren't going to be yeah. doing uh they weren't going to be taking, you know, live action photos and animating them <laughs> like the first, you know, few and the, yeah. uh yeah. It was um I I did I much like you Leon, I really didn't get into many of those uh Mortal Kombat's basically from uh the, the Nintendo 64 era through until 9. So I was kind of kind of yeah, out similar. of the loop. Mm. Now, this one uh, is from Final Fantasy XV, so tell us why you've particularly pulled out this one, a uh, Galdin Key theme. Yeah, um, I, I've said this to you many times before. I, uh, the composer of Final Fantasy XV, uh, Yoko Shimomura, um, is, is, you know, it's hard to say favorite video game composer because there's a lot of different things that you like, but I, I, she just, to me, is, is maybe the most consistent um, person f- for me personally who I just, I really just love her work in general industry um, legend yeah she's just uh, there's there's something about the way that she can just write a write a, a a theme for environments that just makes me feel in the area and golden golden key is an area in final fantasy 15 you get to fairly early it's a beach area uh, where noctis and the gang get i out guess to. that from here yeah it. yeah <laughs> um and so they kind of get out there early on in their journey and it was so reminiscent for me of the Costa del Sol theme from Final Fantasy VII. Yes. Um, and it just, it's another, it's one of those things, it's its a bossa nova beat, it's very pleasant and relaxing. I play this a lot when, um, say I'm getting overwhelmed with things going on in the world or things like, you know, this is one of the songs I'll go to that just kind of like, you know, center me out, you know, do something mindless, listen to this song, chill me out. Um, and it just, it, to me, it, it's such a, it's such a unique thing to be able to, uh, pay tribute to a former Final Fantasy theme while also expanding and making something new on your own without making without coming off like you're just imitating. And I feel yeah. like the the Shimamura does this so well here and it's just it's a it's a song I just come back to over and over again.
Galden Key theme by Yoko Shimomura from Final Fantasy XV. That's four years old now. Goodness me. <laughs> uh, sadly, I didn't get to play it for the show. Just ran out of capacity, unfortunately, and ended up missing out some of those Final Fantasy shows. My thanks once again. I've said this so many times, but they absolutely earned it to everyone who was involved in the Final Fantasy series of podcasts over two years, but <laughs> most especially Leah and Josh, who played through and completed every single mainline Final Fantasy game for the podcast. God love them. Uh, which was, yeah, just ended up being beyond me in the end, what with everything else. But uh, I still own the game, obviously, and may get to it at some point. My uh, My heart is warmed by the fact that, obviously, you never know what's going to happen. But Yoko Shimomura is only 52. Because when she wrote the music for Street Fighter 2, she was about 24. Oh, wow. Like I had no idea. That's incredible. Yeah. So she will hopefully be around for many, many years to come, uh, writing more and more music. Obviously, we are now at the point where a lot of our favorites, I mean, many developers from our youth have already passed on and uh, some of them are retired and some of them are just getting, you know, getting to that age. Mm-hmm. Miyamoto's heading for 70, isn't he? And, yeah. uh, and so on and so forth. So to, to find out that Yoko Shimomura is still uh, a whippersnapper, just, uh, <laughs> just a handful of years older than me, um, a babe in the woods. Uh, but yeah, she, she, may, she may even have, think about this, she may even have her, her strongest years to come. A lot uh, of yeah. composers kind of, uh, it's not, not necessarily true with rock and roll and pop. Um, you know, a lot of bands kind of do their early stuff when they're young and angry and enthused and haven't used mm. up all their ideas. But yeah. <laughs> com- composers, I don't know. I think there's, I think there's, there's probably mileage in the idea that a lot of them actually kind of just get, you know, just keep improving their craft. And yeah, their, becoming and masters so. of the. Yeah, exactly. Um, it mm. is, it is interesting when you say make the rock and pop analogy. Because I was talking about my wife and I were talking about that literally yesterday about how, yeah. um, you know, when when all of your early songs are about how how up you're you don't have any money and and your yeah, romantic exactly. estrants yeah. don't pay attention to you and you're not cool and then all of a sudden you have all the things like that you know it's uh, a killer yeah <laughs> yeah it can be yeah. thankfully there's i'd say there's a few bands that have managed to avoid that pitfall uh-huh. yeah. uh i'm not saying that they you know their output has always been completely consistent but um whereas you could hear it with the likes of Oasis immediately went completely off the rails yep. when they got rich and famous. <laughs> yeah. Radiohead have managed to, you know, keep doing their yeah. thing and and managed to um, sort of avoid the worst pitfalls of of fame and stuff like that. <laughs> Hearing um, Ed O'Brien talking to Adam Buxton on his podcast recently about how they kind of how they did that, but um, but yes, the amount of bands who made a sketchy but exciting first album and masterpiece of a second album mm. and then after that it was just all yeah. like yeah, so- i'm so rich and i'm so famous yeah. i don't know what to do like yeah. nobody wants to hear that mate and you've used up all your best tunes retire yeah. I, I i specifically not to, not not that weezer needs me to call them out but when i heard the single oh, yeah. beverly hills by weezer i was like this is not <laughs> why i started listening to weezer it's just like unbelievable yeah but, or completely believable depending on your take yes Yes, and and fair play to them, you know. Oh yeah, sure. Right, what you, right, what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, these bands have you know, made one at least one or two fantastic albums and made their money, and yeah, more than more fantastic albums than I've made anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> next up, this is my pick. I wasn't going to bring any tunes for this one. I was going to do the usual uh, alternation between 
community requests and my guests picks but this popped up on my youtube recommended videos recently now i i just did some research before the show and it turns out it's actually been around for almost a decade the the second version we're going to hear i also could not literally could not believe the fact that i'd never played the original version of this on the podcast before back in 2014 for a while i did a column on the blog called music monday and this was the very first piece that i featured <laughs> uh it's from a one pound 99 vertically scrolling shoot 'em up came out on the 8-bit systems um this was this version that that i had was uh the atari 8-bit version the c64 version also has rob hubbard's music but it sounds quite different not necessarily better or worse but different and it's not the version i grew up with this is going to be the yeah 1986 chip tune atari 8-bit version but then this popped up which i even though it's been around for 10 years nearly this flamenco version of the same tune by an italian musician called claudio tacitano going by the name of enjoy and this was just a delight to me because if you'd said to me when i was 14 years old when i first played warhawk on my atari it was one of the first games I bought with my own money. It was £1.99. You know, it's not a great game at all. It's a really rudimentary, basic, vertically scrolling shoot 'em up. The sprites are pretty ugly. The, the backdrop graphics are okay. The sound's decent. But it was all about the music and the title screen. As I said in my column back in, uh, back in 2014, for every two minutes I spent playing the game, I probably spent 15 listening to this driving, <laughs> hook-laden, multi-layered, multi-channel space opera from Maestro Rob Hubbard. And I was vindicated earlier because you sent me a message just uh, ahead of recording just to say that you were digging the music. Yeah, I was cooking breakfast um, and I was listening to the songs for the show and I couldn't believe, like, first of all, I couldn't believe that I hadn't heard the song and then I, I, I didn't mm. know the game at all. Um, no, no, I, no, no, no. It's pretty obscure. Yeah, but I, I like Robert Hubbard's work, and and yeah, and so I started listening to it. I'm like, this this song rips, and then I'm like, what's the second link? And I heard the <laughs> the flamingo version. Of it. I'm like, I think I like this somehow more, but it's like two com for two completely different reasons. It's just it's just a, a great composition. I mean, I was I I annoyed my family by turning up the wireless speaker fairly loud this morning while listening to the Good. Warhawk music. Yeah, it was a yeah, it was it was a treat. Excellent. Well, let's hear them back to back. The 86 original in delicious mono and the 2011 cover version in glorious stereo. Thank you. 
Warhawk by Rob Hubbard. Yes, from my childhood. Enormous amounts of nostalgia. And yeah, just... It, it reminds me, Leon, of an episode of, of Sound of Play I, I listened to um, years ago um, yeah. where someone had requested on the forum, I believe it was from The Last Ninja 3, yes, um, yes. the water stage from that. And, mm. it, and it's, it's a game that I still have never played, but it is a mm, song no. that I, I listened to the to the to, or watch the youtube video of that music maybe you know two three times a week yeah i, I love wow. that song now and this is gonna the warhawk music is gonna be one of those for me that it's now it's on my favorite list for youtube and um still so probably won't ever play the game but man that music is something no special. i wouldn't bother don't play <laughs> okay. the game all right <laughs> uh yeah it's rob hubbard obviously most commonly associated and rightly so with the commodore 64 but he did that a few of his tunes got converted to the Atari by other people, sometimes less, more or less successfully. But as far as I know, this was him actually playing around on the pokey chip, hmm. which is uh, what was housed inside the uh, Atari, as opposed to his beloved SID chip, uh, which, yeah, just gave him some different limitations. And it, it's actually worth hearing both the tunes side by side so you can kind of hear the strengths and weaknesses of the, of the different, the architecture hmm. of the different 8-bit computers there. Uh, but yeah, and thanks to Claudio Tassitano, um, maybe I can do some detective work and, and track Claudio down and, and uh, get him on the show to That'd talk about. Awesome. I'm, I'm guessing he's done more covers uh, than just that one. I was pleased to see this next one for a couple of reasons. One, because it is stuffed full of gank, <laughs> uh, 90s, 80s stroke 90s orchestra stabs. Uh, and also because, yeah, this is a game that was uh, much anticipated. Uh, Hamster released, they were bringing it to the arcade or announced they were bringing it to the arcade archives label some months before they did, which is quite unusual for them because I think they knew this one was a bit of a, a big hitter. But Sunset Riders, yeah. the most flamboyant set of cowboys that ever roamed the Wild mm. West. Yeah, Sunset Riders is uh, is is an arcade legend for a lot of people's but uh people excuse me but the the reason it was so special to me is because we have um i'm from a very small town in western new york and we when i grew up it's not there anymore it burned down like most other things in the town um but it, it we had a bowling alley um growing up and there were two arcade games in the bowling alley mm. one was operation wolf and the other one was sunset riders um and uh, my friends and i we we literally convinced our parents to let us join the youth bowling league having no interest in bowling at all we just wanted to play sunset riders every week and so we did that <laughs> when i was probably eight years old or however old i was um see this game came out when i was it came yeah 91 was when i, I turned eight so um <laughs> yeah we we just pumped quarter after quarter into sunset riders and i that that initial stage theme is just i i can just it's something i can summon in my head at will at any time and um and it's just it's just a I think it's just a wonderful, campy, hilarious piece of music that hits all the notes you'd expect from a arcade cowboy game made in the 90s. <laughs> so um, super campy game. Yeah. With oh, super yeah, campy music. Great. Um, yeah. And also more recently, I uh, I'm lucky enough to live in Western New York. So I'm near the strong museum of play um, mm. where they have a gigantic arcade machine collection. And um uh, so I was, uh, before the pandemic, I was yeah. a, a season pass holder there. So I would, I would go to the arcade there probably about once a month and just tinker around with some things. And they, they got a pristine sunset rider machine in, um, January. 
and I was there. I played through I played through all of Sunset Riders on the arcade in January, and then recently replayed it on the arcade classics too. It's just um, um, and I also owned it on Super Nintendo at one point. I think I traded it away to a friend, which now is much to my chagrin because that cartridge is um relatively difficult mm. to come by. But um, yeah. yeah, huge fan Sunset Riders. Stage One's music by Motoaki Furukawa from Sunset Riders. Yeah, you can buy and play that now, thanks to Hamster on PS4 and Switch. I don't think they're currently releasing stuff on Xbox for some reason. They did, and now they're not again. Oh, is that no true? Idea. I did. I yeah. just, I just assumed that it was only PS4. Huh, that's interesting. No, they they released a ton of stuff on Xbox. And there was, in fact, a period in this country, at least, or maybe the EU more widely, where the PS4 releases stopped altogether. Hmm. I think there was about a two-year gap, a year to 18 months, maybe two-year gap, where there were no hamster releases on PS4. Then suddenly they restarted, but the Xbox releases stopped. So I've not seen any news about it, and I guess it's a bit of a niche concern, but... Uh, there's nothing there's no information out there as to why this happens it's frustrating because for whatever reasons and it doesn't really matter that much but i play some i collect certain games from certain series on one system and certain games from certain series on another Mm. and and so on across the three systems so now they're kind of they're getting split up uh, which is yeah it's not 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 a not a big deal at all but just mildly irksome no yeah that uh, that is it is frustrating when you're you're kind of if you've got your little folder on your ps4 of yeah, all that exactly. so yeah you want to yeah. have it all together I, I i know that feeling very well <laughs> yeah metal slug was the thing so they they released they they, re, they released okay, yeah. metal slugs one two x and three on ps4 and then when when they stopped releasing stuff on xbox one they uh sorry when they stopped releasing stuff on ps4 they released uh, four and five metal slugs four and five on xbox one but not on ps4 uh, and then when they started releasing stuff on ps4 they finally chucked those ones out again mm. so i don't know what's going on <laughs> at hamster but i still love them yeah. because because of what they do there's still so many games that i desperately want them to to get hold of and bring to uh 
bring to those contemporary it is platform. it is awesome to every once in a while just see like a, just an arcade game that i can literally feel the sticks for you know and it pops up there that it's available for sale now it's just um it's it's yeah. really nice to have those at your fingertips especially on the switch i know that's a again another cliche these days but mm. man it's just to be able to just take a pocket full of like arcade perfect you know things with me on the go it's 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 a lot of fun yeah hopefully your local arcade repository will survive the pandemic yeah it's it's a it's a pretty well-funded um, museum so um it's mm. actually where frank Cifaldi partners with them for the video game history foundation right. so um, okay great so yeah it's a uh, it's it's hopefully knock on wood it's 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 relatively safe in that aspect but um you mm. know who knows these days so i just do my do your best to support yeah. your local arcades if you can everybody yeah but. yes uh our i say our it's hundreds of miles away from me um but in berry uh, arcade club where um, our friend uh, Ben has uh, been several times. They they are surviving. They have reopened, but obviously they're 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 currently on at the time of recording. They're on the border of the area that's currently re- receiving slightly stricter lockdown measures because of uh, rising uh, R rate and, and whatever else. So not sure what's going on there. But I believe the owner is fairly independently wealthy. That's what someone was saying. So hopefully they'll be okay. Sunset Riders, though, I actually played it in the uh, Sheffield National Video Game Museum, which was the last trip me and my partner went on before lockdown to huh. an away match in Sheffield. And National Video Game Museum was part of it. Uh, I talked about it on here before, I think. Uh, and yes, they had a Sunset Riders there. They have had to uh, do fundraisers and ask uh, famous and wealthy games people to dip into their pockets to keep them going. But I believe at this point they are still going. Yeah. So. Uh, so that's something. An obscure pick for this next one, and I can't say it's from a game I've played. I'm going to guess, Brian, you're not. A, a, I don't know if you're a Toho Project series guy. I am not. Um, it's pretty niche stuff. To yeah, be fair. I, I I honestly hadn't hadn't even heard of it, and then when I started googling it after looking at listening to the song, um, I was I was recognizing some of the titles and some of the artwork, but nothing I've ever yeah. touched myself. No. Yes. Yeah, so from my layman's point of view, a early 2000s possibly started in the late 90s but certainly early 2000s series of homemade bullet curtain shooters from team shanghai alice uh, that were yeah they made a whole series of them lots of anime art and bullet dodging shenanigans um and of course some appropriate japanese style shoot 'em up music this was requested by sergeant silent who says game six and seven of the Toho Project series, Scarlet Devil and Cherry Blossom, have always had a soft spot in my heart. The music really makes the game worth playing again and again. I'm terrible at insanity shooters, but that doesn't stop me from replaying it for the sense of accomplishment I get when listening to Zun. Somehow I get both the feeling of playfulness, but also the seriousness of the issue behind it. So this track is Beloved Tomboyish Girl, brackets Simo's theme, I think by Zun.
from the excellently named Toho Kumakyu, the embodiment of Scarlet Devil. Uh, we've definitely got uh, we've got a very active and uh, enthused shmups thread on our forum canarince.com slash forum and it's uh and this is not to in any way dis uh appear or, or whatever else but i know that the the actual shmups forums can be very uh competitive and serious and gatekeepery and we're trying to avoid that stuff so yeah. people who are rubbish at insanity shooters but who like them like me uh can feel like they're just having fun with it and being enthused about it without the you're playing it wrong kind of mentality. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, or, or you're just not playing it well enough because <laughs> you just can't. Yeah. I was, um, I, I didn't think I was a shmup fan at all um, until recently. Okay. And there's been, there's been a, a good um, run of them on Ooh, switch. Um, Cinemora. Um, is that, if I'm yeah, pronouncing yeah. that right? And then, mm-hmm. um, oh gosh, you're gonna, you would be very disappointed with me that I'm forgetting the name of that. You flip the ship over and it's black and white bullets and Ikaruga. Yeah, Ikaruga. I was gonna say Ikarumi. I knew that was wrong. Um, <laughs> and then, and then based on your, um, enthusiasm for it last year, um, and listening to the Kane Rimps episode on it, I wasn't on the episode itself, but I've played a fair amount of Next Machina on the mm-hmm. PS4 too. And then, and then that's been, um, um, that's been fun too. Yeah, so I've, I I really do enjoy them, but I am quite quite bad at them. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's fun though. But I mean, it's one of those things that like the more you play them, the better you get at them, and like anything else. And um, Ikaruga was the one that like I I fell into a pretty deep hole that last year. Okay, um, so yeah, uh, that that was it's good because because it it does a really good job of just like. Every single time I died, I just felt like it was because I had failed myself. It yes. wasn't. It wasn't the game's fault. It was like oh, I just no. didn't switch. I was white instead of yeah, whatever. But yeah, yeah, it's, it that has a really good loop to it. I like that game. It's a real mental workout, and yeah, the scores you can attain are insane. I think the version on Switch has the feature where it allows you to download replays of other people playing it. Properly. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you want to be both, you know. Ashamed and <laughs> Ashamed. enraptured simultaneously. Ashamed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. They, uh, yeah. Some of those, some of those levels is just, um, but then when you, when you get through them, you, you know, you just, you feel like a superhero. Um, I just yeah. don't think my eyes see at that level of frames per second that some people seem to accomplish. I just, well, I that, just can't do that it. Is, that is an interesting conversation. <laughs> we, we, we've talked about this before because. Yeah, Jay and I were both brought up at a time when we were taught at school that the human could not perceive faster than 25 <laughs> frames a second. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like that that is how fast our eyes see. Yeah. Hence films don't look like a series of still images. Right. So that's that's all we needed to know. Yeah. Um but it just goes to show that a lot of what we're taught at school I mean yeah. obviously it was it was believed to be right at the time, but I was always like hang on. You but <laughs> some games I play look demonstrably smoother than others. It was it was it was believed that humans could only see at twenty five frames a second, but then became a man named Daigo who could <laughs> break down Street yeah. Fighter per frame. <laughs> and now we've got yeah, one hundred and twenty hertz yeah. monitors for PCs and so Wild. on. So, on, so, on. Uh, so thank you everybody for requesting your picks for Sound of Play. Thank you also to you for listening and Jay for editing. Keep those requests coming in on the forum. Uh, or social media. Follow us on Twitter at Kane Rince. We still have a bit of a dearth of requests in the gaming period. That was 2004 to 2009. So if you have any favourite tracks or interesting tracks from that era that you'd like us to play, have a think about that and uh, head over and 
pick them up. Hmm. There was a lot of good games and good music released in that time, some of which we've already played, obviously, but no doubt plenty of which we have still yet to share. Brian, you got anything else to uh, publicize other than your work with us? No, that's pretty much it. Um, I'm on Twitter at BrianTendo64. I just hit 160 followers this morning. It's I know it's a brag. Boom. No big deal. Um, no, they... Yeah, um, yeah. Just listen to Canerance and 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 look for everything there. Um, I also just um, for anybody interested in, in old old new school sixteen um, bit RPGs, I just wrote a review for Crosscode that's up on the Canerance uh, blog right now. And yeah, yeah, if you'd you read loved that, it. yeah, I did. Yeah, that meme. I feel like I'm a little too positive sometimes. <laughs> it feels like I love everything sometimes nah. a little too much. But um, that that game is something special. Holy moly! But anyway, yeah. Um, so now you don't need to read the review, but go uh, look at my words and uh, leave a comment if you want to. But other than that, no, that's pretty much it. Genuine enthusiasm is infectious. That game is so good, Leon. You would love. Um, oh, it just the trees. Yeah. The trees just scream Secret of Mana. <laughs> Everyone I see. Shots. Oh my gosh. Just... I've got it installed, but then. <laughs> I got I uh, got kind of hooked into uh, Ghost of Tsushima. Oh now, yeah, so. yeah, I'm playing that too. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Right, back to eight bit days for our final track, and uh, this is the, I think this is starting to become a tradition now that uh, you feature a an NES sports game. Yes. Soundtrack. Yep. Uh, so I, I guess you spent a lot of your youth playing NES sports games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you're a big. Hang on, which one is it? One of the American sports. You're a big baseball fan. No. No, no. You're I, a big football fan. I am um, the, the American football fan. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. No, it's okay. Don't be sorry. Late. It's it's ridiculous. Uh, base <laughs> um, basketball. Yeah. No, I like I like basketball and hockey a fair bit, but no, football okay. is. I, I live near Buffalo, and and anybody near Buffalo okay. is a is a, uh, a Buffalo Bills, Bills maniac. It's just kind gotcha. of it's it's part of the it's in the water. I think. Um. But now, this though is not a specifically a U.S. sport, although mm-hmm. I think. Uh, it's been it's more I, I associate it mainly with South America actually uh, Brazilian people like mm-hmm. that but yeah. we do we we have quite a bit of it here we've got some courts down the seafront although our beaches are stony pebbles we also have sandy volleyball courts mm-hmm. um, but there's also of course indoor uh, the real kind of volleyball on the just on the on the regular carpet or whatever they play on is yeah. that what this is uh, this game no, is based on the uh, this US is championship? A, this is a beach volleyball beach variety. two on two okay. beach volleyball um okay so i believe it was known worldwide as us championship v ball um yeah. in the states it was known as super spike v ball um yes and cool. it was great. There was actually a great NES double cart, which I'm literally looking at right now over my shelf. That was a uh, World Cup soccer and um and Super Spike V ball on one cartridge. Why? Um, Why did you ever need to buy any more video games ever again <laughs> after you got that? It's a very good question. My brother and I, <laughs> my brother and I would just go. Um, you know, it was one of those things. We, my brother was much more into actual playing of sports outside than I was. Um, I played a, a little bit, but um, but he was very, he was he was not into uh like. Uh, role-playing video games or anything more fantasy-based like I was, but the part where we really crossed over was sports games. So we just played a ton of sports games because it was ones that my parents knew we'd both play, so they would get it for us. Um, and yeah, Super Spike V-Ball is just one of those games. It's really fun. It's it's the it's almost reminiscent of um, some of the like the sprites from like Super Dodgeball and like River City Ransom. Yeah, it's the same. Kinda. It's yeah. the same lineage. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's really fun. It's it's a really it's a simple bump set spike system, and then if you if you jump and and tap the jump button quick enough, you can execute a super spike, which sends your opponent flying off the screen. Um, yes. Um, yeah. It's it's really fun. It's it's very. Um, 
it's very addictive um and it's also like quite challenging against the ai um to the point where yeah. i still will sit down and try to go through a run of it um uh, a couple times and, and i can normally get fairly decently far but um but yeah it's a it's a it gets pretty maddening towards the end and it's it's one of those things that's just like we played so much of it that 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 this theme from the Daytona match, which is the first match in the game, the first team you play right. is the Daytona team. Um, yeah. It just it's just one of those earworms that just sticks in my head nonstop and repeats and um, brings me joy anytime I hear it. Amazing, yeah. And uh, similarly, uh, yeah, the same lineage. Uh, Kazunaka Yamane also worked on uh, a lot of the Double Dragon stuff, yeah. or you know Kunio Kun. So it's all it's all part of that same uh, house of uh, that weird mashup between the the the, <laughs> the scrolling street brawler and the volleyball game. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, there's a nice collection you can get of all the old uh, Double Dragon and Kunio Kun NES games now on the current systems. Worth checking out if you're into old things like that. But we'll conclude and close the show with Daytona match. It's not that Daytona. We must have played that one before. Uh, <laughs> the Sega one, a different Daytona from the NES from 1989. And we'll see you next time on Sound of Play.